Section 20 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 1, Book the Second, Chapter 10. The Colossal Savage, The Storm. In the meantime, the skipper had caught up his speaking trumpet. Strike every sail, my lads. Let go the sheets. Man the downhauls. Lower ties and brails. Let us steer to the west. Let us regain the high sea. Head for the buoy. Steer for the bell. There's an offing down there. We've yet a chance. Try, said the doctor. Let us remark here, by the way, that this ringing buoy, a kind of bell-tower on the deep, was removed in 1802. There are yet alive very old mariners who remember hearing it. It forewarned, but rather too late. The orders of the skipper were obeyed. The Languedocian made a third sailor. All bore a hand. Not satisfied with brailing up, they furled the sails, lashed the earrings, secured the clue-lines, bunt-lines, and leech-lines, and clapped preventer shrouds on the block straps, which thus might serve as backstays. They fished the mast. They battened down the ports and bull's-eyes, which is a method of walling up a ship. These evolutions, though executed in a lubberly fashion, were nevertheless thoroughly effective. The hooker was stripped to bare poles. But in proportion as the vessel stowing every stitch of canvas, became more helpless, the havoc of both winds and waves increased. The seas ran mountains high. The hurricane, like an executioner hastening to his victim, began to dismember the craft. There came, in the twinkling of an eye, a dreadful crash. The topsails were blown from the bolt-ropes. The chest-trees were hewn asunder. The deck was swept clear. The shrouds were carried away. The mast went by the board. All the lumber of the wreck was flying in shivers. The main shrouds gave out, although they were turned in and stoppered to four phantoms. The magnetic currents common to snowstorms hastened the destruction of the rigging. It broke as much from the effect of effluvium as the violence of the wind. Most of the chain-gear, fouled in the blocks, ceased to work. Forward, the bows aft the quarters quivered under the terrific shocks. One wave washed overboard the compass and its binnacle. A second carried away the boat, which, like a box slung under a carriage, had been, in accordance with the quaint Austerian custom, last to the bowsprit. A third breaker wrenched off the spritsail yard. A fourth swept away the figurehead and signal light. The rudder only was left. To replace the ship's bow-lantern, they set fire to and suspended at the stem a large block of wood covered with oakum and tar. The mast, broken in two, all bristling with quivering splinters, ropes, blocks, and yards, cumbered the deck. In falling, it had stove in a plank of the starboard gunwale. The skipper, still firm at the helm, shouted, "'While we can steer, we yet have a chance. 
The lower planks hold good. Axes, axes. Overboard with the mast. Clear the decks. Both crew and passengers worked with the excitement of despair. A few strokes of the hatchets, and it was done. They pushed the mast over the side. The deck was cleared. Now, continued the skipper, take a rope's end and lash me to the helm. To the tiller they bound him. While they were fastening him, he laughed and shouted, Blow, old hurdy-gurdy, bellow, I've seen your equal off a of Cape Machichacho. And when secured, he clutched the helm with that strange hilarity which danger awakens. All goes well, my lads. Long live the lady of Buglos. Let us steer west. An enormous wave came down a beam and fell on the vessel's quarter. There is always in storms a tiger-like wave, a billow fierce and decisive, which, attaining a certain height, creeps horizontally over the surface of the waters for a time, then rises, roars, rages, and falling on the distressed vessel, tears it limb from limb. A cloud of foam covered the entire poop of the Matutina. There was heard above the confusion of darkness and waters a crash. When the spray cleared off, when the stern rose again in view, the skipper and the helm had disappeared. Both had been swept away. The helm and the man they had but just secured to it had passed with the wave into the hissing turmoil of the hurricane. The chief of the band, gazing intently into the darkness, shouted, Te burles de nostros. To this defiant exclamation there followed another cry, Let go the anchor, save the skipper. They rushed to the capstan and let go the anchor. Hookers carry but one. In this case, the anchor reached the bottom, but only to be lost. The bottom was of the hardest rock. The billows were raging with resistless force. The cable snapped like a thread. The anchor lay at the bottom of the sea. At the cut water, there remained but the cable end protruding from the hawse hole. From this moment, the hooker became a wreck. The matutina was irrevocably disabled. The vessel, just before in full sail and almost formidable in her speed, was now helpless. All her evolutions were uncertain and executed at random. She yielded passively and like a log to the capricious fury of the waves. That in a few minutes there should be in place of an eagle a useless cripple, such a transformation is to be witnessed only at sea. The howling of the wind became more and more frightful. A hurricane has terrible lungs. It makes unceasingly mournful additions to the darkness, which cannot be intensified. The bell on the sea rang despairingly, as if told by a weird hand. The Matutina drifted like a cork at the mercy of the waves. She sailed no longer. She merely floated. Every moment she seemed about to turn over on her back, like a dead fish. The good condition and perfectly watertight state of the hull alone saved her from this disaster. Below the waterline, not a plank had started. There was not a cranny, chink, nor crack, and she had not made a single drop of water in the hold. This was lucky, as the pump, being out of order, was useless. The hooker pitched and roared frightfully, 
in the seething billows. The vessel had throes as of sickness and seemed to be trying to belch forth the unhappy crew. Helpless they clung to the standing rigging, to the transoms, to the shank painters, to the gaskets, to the broken planks, the protruding nails of which tore their hands, to the warped riders, and to all the rugged projections of the stumps of the masts. From time to time they listened. The toll of the bell came over the waters fainter and fainter. One would have thought that it was also in distress. Its ringing was no more than an intermittent rattle. Then this rattle died away. Where were they? At what distance from the buoy? The sound of the bell had frightened them. Its silence terrified them. The Northwester drove them forward in perhaps a fatal course. They felt themselves waft on by maddening and ever-recurring gusts of wind. The wreck sped forward in the darkness. There is nothing more fearful than being hurried forward blindfold. They felt the abyss before them, over them, under them. It was no longer a run, it was a rush. Suddenly, through the appalling density of the snowstorm, there loomed a red light. A lighthouse, cried the crew. End of section 20 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas